You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So we are going to take a leap back to the 20th century, and I'm going to make you work for our time in the Word a little bit by having to flip many places in the Scripture. It's not going to be served on a silver platter on the screen for you this morning. You're going to have to open up your Bible for yourself before you, either on your electronic device, digital device, or in your actual physical Bible. I am sorry. I know, persecution, difficulty. We have to endure, persevere for the sake of the gospel. We're going to do it, though. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew 13. We're going to continue this series, The Kingdom of Heaven, which we started last week. And I'm excited about the things God is just speaking to us through his word. We're, we're going through the book of Matthew, not verse by verse or chapter by chapter, but really thematically, because a main emphasis of the, of the book of Matthew, which is written for a Jewish audience, Matthew, the evangelist to the, to the Jews, he's writing through this framework of the kingdom of heaven, describing Jesus, Messiah, fulfill, fulfiller of the, the prophetic um, words that came about this one, this messianic king who would, who would establish a government, a ruler reign. Um, and so that's the framework through which Matthew writes this book. And so we're, we're trying to understand the kingdom of heaven in a better way. I, several months ago, we hosted a uh, friend in our home who is, who is a small business owner. He actually builds custom homes. So he's a, a co- contractor a day and night for a living. And he told us about uh, a theme that he's, he's realized in the last five to seven years is beginning to shift uh, the way contractors have to function in the real world. He's, he says time and time again, people will come to him. He builds custom homes. People come to him with really extravagant plans, something most of them saw on HGTV, and they have really un- unrealistic expectations for, one, the cost how much that's going to cost, and then secondly, the time frame for how long it's going to take. People watch these television shows, and in 23 minutes, they do magic. I mean, they just flip these houses up, upside down, and they, they always make a, like a huge profit, the contractors do, and they do it in two weeks flat, you know, and it's just it's phenomenal. He said it's making their industry very difficult as they have to have these tough conversations with people uh, about how it actually works. And um, there, there's an aspect of that that shifts into, I believe, uh, or I think speaks to a, a broader theme in our culture, which we love the, the flashy, the outward, tr- uh, quick transformations, overnight successes. Those are the things that for some reason we're drawn to in, in the Western world. We, we love those quick, instant microwave transformations. And I want to speak to you this morning a principle of the kingdom of heaven that is counter to that mentality of just superficial outward change only. The kingdom of heaven is after something much deeper, much more substantial, much more real than just outward facades, superficialities. And so I want us to open up our hearts this morning to a truth that uh, may be uncomfortable at moments, but it's, it's a real truth. This is the, the main idea for this morning. The kingdom of heaven is after our heart. The kingdom of heaven is after your heart, which results in outward change. The kingdom of this world fools us only with outward change. And in multiple ways, both in the religious world and the non-religious world, 
For some reason, the kingdom of this world tries to tempt us, tries to fool us to believe that we should be content with only outward change. And we resist, many times we harden our hearts to actual inner change, inward change deep in the recesses of our hearts. But the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus makes it clear, that's why we're gonna do a lot of flipping in our Bibles throughout the book of Matthew this morning, is because God is after our hearts. He's pursuing your heart. He came to establish a rule and a reign. And if you remember last week, I'm kind of setting up a tension here. Because kingdom of heaven, is, it's, he's, he's about ruling and reigning in both contexts. Last week, if you remember, we talked about how the kingdom of heaven is fully relevant to today. Jesus did not just come and declare a kingdom of heaven about an eternal hope. He didn't just tell the poor, the sick, the blind, the oppressed, hold on, just hold on, endure for some eternal hope. No, he said, I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. And what did he do? He set the oppressed free. He healed the sick. He set demon-possessed people free. The, the kingdom of heaven is fully relevant for today. But it doesn't just stop with today. It's not just about feeding the hungry, setting people free here and now. It's also about an eternal hope. So there is a tension at play in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is about establishing his rule and his reign in the deepest recesses of our heart for an eternal substantial change that also results in an outward change. Where the world wants to fool us with this flashy kind of smokescreen, uh, slick, quick change on the outward when it inside remains unchanged. And I just don't want us to stop anything short of God's best for our lives. The kingdom of heaven is after our hearts. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. Again, written from a Jewish context, And I think this is so fascinating given where we were last week, thinking about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 establishing his kingdom, the banner theme of his kingdom was the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's near, it's here and now. And this means I'm going to change your life now. That means that blind person there, I'm going to set you free, that hungry person, I'm going to actually feed you here and now. But here in Matthew chapter 13, he kind of sets the tension in motion through the telling of this parable, and he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, you want, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the, weed, the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is not one of Jesus' most um, famous parables by any means. But I think this is a fascinating parable about the, the peace in which Jesus tells this parable. There's this sense of peace that I feel like he carries as, he's, as these words are coming out of his mouth. That essentially, there is coming a day when it will all be sorted out. You see, in, this, in, our, in, our, um, in, in the here and now, we love to judge by outward appearances and judge, honestly, prematurely. But Jesus in this parable says the kingdom of heaven is, is, about, and he, is, is about a coming day of judgment when things will be sorted out. 
And therefore, since, since there's this coming day of judgment, God is at work establishing his kingdom, kingdom in places where it will bear eternal fruit. He wants our hearts. He wants, to, he wants to penetrate and rule and reign first and foremost in the inner recesses, of, inner recesses of our heart. So I want us to unpack that first and foremost, about how the kingdom of heaven is after our heart. I think a great example of this is, is the life of David, who really became a, a precursor to this Messiah, as they, as they call Jesus, obviously, the son of David. It was like, as we look at the life of David, the rule and reign of David becomes this, this golden era of the kingdom of Israel and then becomes a picture of the kingdom of heaven in which Jesus is going to come and establish. Obviously, David ruled and reigned in an earthly, in an earthly kingdom, but it became a picture for these Jews to hang on to of this coming Messiah who's going to come and rule and reign in a perfect way, like David, our great king. But David was not the world's first pick. If you remember, the first king of Israel was who? It was Saul, right? And Saul was, was what our world thinks of in terms of kings. He was tall. He was handsome. He was smart. He was, the, he was you know, physically, he was beating all of his peers. And they're like, he's our man. Israel's like rallying around Saul, chanting his name. Saul's the man. But Saul's heart, as you know, it, it, grow, it continues to uh, grow more and more wicked. And so God seeks out a man after his own heart. God is after somebody's heart, as somebody who has a pure and a humble and a contrite heart. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, this is speaking of Saul, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. That's what God had to tell his prophet Samuel. You'd think Samuel would understand the kingdom. He says, don't look at his stature, his outward appearance, because I have rejected him. That's speaking of Saul. For the Lord sees not as man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Samuel goes on to anoint David as the next king, who was the last born of Jesse's eight sons. He was small. He wasn't the most, uh, he wasn't as strong and as tall as his brothers. He was the one who got left back to, to watch the sheep. And yet he was God's choice man because he had that humble heart because he knew that he could rule and reign in David's heart first and foremost. So it's not so much that outward, our actions and our works don't matter, but the order matters, the emphasis matters. God is first and foremost about ruling and reigning deep in our hearts so that the outflow of that heart will be pure. It'll be a pure representation of his kingdom. And a great, another example of that then is the, the Pharisees. As we fast forward then to the, the moment Jesus steps on the scene, you see throughout the book of Matthew and throughout all the gospels, there's this, there's this growing tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And what does Jesus continually go after? He continually goes after that the pharisaical, legalistic, uh, religious, uh, outward showiness of the religious leaders. He's constantly uh, speaking out these indictments against the religious leaders, growing and growing in tension until obviously it ends in his crucifixion. That's because Jesus was going after that, that uh, so common cultural uh, theme that still is alive today today. Uh, both in secular and religious circles, it's the obsession with the outward appearance of things. 
And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they were the same. They're the same as our secular culture, where we celebrate instant overnight success, outward great looks, um, flashy superficialities. The religious, the religious leaders were the same way. They were so obsessed with outward things, and, and one example of that is, is in their ceremonial obsessions. They clung so hard to the letter of the Old Testament law that they, they missed the heart of it. They missed the spirit of it. So they'd be so uptight about making sure people had the ceremonial washings of their hands just right and the different dishes that they would use for, for some of the, the, the festivities, the feasts. They'd be so obsessed about the washings that they missed the heart of it all. They completely missed it. You can just flip even two chapters over to Matthew chapter 15. I'll show you one example of that. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 20. He says, where they're obsessed with making sure they don't eat something unclean. And Jesus, I think, loved to ruffle their feathers. There's one moment where Jesus encourages his disciples to eat with unclean hands just to kind of ruffle the feathers of the religious leaders. But he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. Not the, not the foods that we eat, or, or the condition of our hands when we eat. He says it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You guys are, you guys are missing it. I'm after the heart. And the message of religion is continually about outward change only. It's only about facades. And that has been the, the temptation of Christianity over the last 2,000 years, is we can get really, really good at putting on outward facades, putting on the smile, dressing right, um, saying the right words, and miss the heart of it. God, doesn't, God wants more than that. The kingdom of heaven wants to rule and reign in our hearts. That is the good news of Jesus. That he comes and he rules and reigns in our hearts, first and foremost. And then he brings outward transformation. If you keep turning then in, in Matthew, to 20, Matthew 23, just flip over there. Because this is really where it begins to come to head. Jesus really goes after the religious leaders here. This famous passage in Matthew 23, the seven woes. Woe is not a word we use too often unless it's like you're really excited about something. Whoa! But this is like... What sorrow may be upon you, he's essentially saying to these religious leaders. I pray you are sorrowful about the condition that you are in. So he says, woe, woe, woe to you. And he gives these seven indictments against the religious leaders. He talks about how they, they love their outward adornment of robes. They, they want to have the, 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 the right colors and the, the long flowing robes to grab people's attention. They want to have the seats of honor. They're all about outward facades. He talks about how, how difficult the religious leaders make it for other people to get close to God. You guys, are meant, you guys are supposed to be serving other people, laying down your lives so that they encounter God, not making it more difficult for them to grow with me. He calls them blind guides. He talks about how they neglect like the, the core aspects of the kingdom, which are mercy and justice. But then in verse 25, that's the one I want us to key in on. Verse 25, he says, Woe to you, 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. That is his, that's his intention. That is the fulfillment of what he came to do. It's to clean the inside first. Transformation from the inside out. And the temptation as we walk with Christ or the temptation in this world, in religious circles, is to be satisfied only with outward change. Maybe you can say the right words, you can dress the right way, but inwardly we remain unchanged. That is a travesty in the kingdom of God. God wants our hearts. He wants inward transformation. And so honestly, my prayer for each one of us, we're in a world, a common critique of the church, big C, is I don't want to go to church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. You guys have heard that? Maybe, maybe that was you at one point, I don't know. He said, I don't want to go to church, it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And my prayer is that when people meet you, when people meet me, when people meet people in our church, that they wouldn't see perfection, but instead they'd see an authenticity to it. They'd realize that you are, you're wanting some substance to your faith that actually penetrates deep into the inner recesses of your heart. And we all know the darkness deep in our hearts when we lay our pillows on our heads at night when no one else is around, those secret places, we know what exists deep in our hearts. And we know it's out of those places that all this outward, disgusting stuff flows. So we know, in a painful way, we're all familiar with the inner transformation that we need. Amen? I know I need, I need the grace of God to radically wash over me in a way that it transforms, transforms me from the inside out. And that's what I'm contending for, is for an authenticity in our pursuit of God that starts on the inside and results in outward change. So I want to focus on that next, the outward change that results from inner transformation. Because Jesus is not just talking about some sort of um, mental ascent that's just an inner uh, exercise meant to just be deep locked away in your heart that wouldn't, wouldn't result in any fruit outwardly. No, God is actually concerned about outward fruit. It's the order and the emphasis, though, that matters. So a great example of that is in Matthew 25. You can turn there. I said I was going to make you work, and so I'm not going to apologize again. Sorry. Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus talks about this, this coming judgment again. This is, this is the Christ, the God-man, who's going to lay down his life to pay the full price for you and for me to have relationship with the Father. He's not confused about his theology. He is God. He is perfect theology. He's not proposing here a works-based gospel. He's not saying work harder. No, he's going to fully lay down his life radically displayed for the entire earth, so much that the earth trembles. He understands the work that he's stepping into, but yet, catch this, this coming judgment. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's talking about a real kingdom. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come on, who... Or come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. He's saying works matter. Outward change matters. But the order matters. Because at the same, you know, two chapters prior, he was just indicting the Pharisees for outward show. So it's not that these acts, these radical acts of mercy are saving these individuals. But outward change matters. Fruit matters. So then in verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, so these are the goats. These are the ones that are going to be rejected. At the end of the age, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I want you to key, key in on that. The hell, hell fire is not prepared for any one of us. Hell fire is prepared for who? For the devil and his angels. Those who, who they've already written their own sentence over their life. Hell is not for anyone else, and that's not God's intention. The wrath of God is perfectly in harmony with his radical love. But he's a God that so loves us that he gives us a free choice. And the devil and his angels had already written that sentence over them. He said, hell is prepared for them. But there's coming a day when time will run out. And, that, and then the goats will go to that place. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Trust me, I say this with a heavy heart. I say this with fear and trembling before you in, in no lighthearted way. Our actions matter. It has to flow out of a personal transformation in the deepest recess of our heart. Then we recognize this opportunity to do unto others as, as unto the Lord because of the radical rule and reign that he's taken over, the dominion that he's taken over in our hearts. So our works do not justify us for a moment. Do not be confused about the good news of Jesus that he came and he brought. Works do not justify, but they do authenticate. They do show that there is an authentic word, uh, work happening deep in our hearts, that there is a new king on the throne of our hearts. There's only one reason to outwardly um, lay down our lives for others, and it's because we have a king ruling and reigning in our hearts. So we cannot accept an alternate gospel which says that outward change is enough. And at the same time, we cannot reduce the gospel to mental assent or just some inner exercise that doesn't result in any sort of outward change. Both are necessary, but emphasis matters and the order matters. We first rend our hearts. First we say, God, come and take your place on the throne of my heart. I want it to result in outward change. I want my lifestyle to change. But God, come and take your place deep in my heart. Romans 10, 9 through 10, I think is a, is a great like, proof text of, of, of this um, tension at play right before our eyes. 
It's a a familiar passage to many of you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with, with the heart that one believes and is justified, and it's with the mouth that we confess and are saved. For, for, for us in the kingdom of heaven, it is both. It, it is an outward proclamation, but it's because of a heart transformation first. It's because in our hearts we're saying Jesus is Lord. Therefore, outwardly, we can confess that he is who he claimed to be. That he truly is king of our lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I, I think this, this parable, this, which uh, many of your Bibles probably have the title, the parable of the weeds, I think it's so fascinating. It's, I think it's a fascinating picture of the patience of God. And just revel in that a moment. What does the master tell these servants? The servants say, hey, we want to come and start, help you sort this out. I don't know how these seeds, these bad seeds, got into your field. But I'm, we want to come and help, we want to help you out. We'll go out into your field. We'll pull out the weeds. And what does the master say? The master says, hold on. No, there's coming a day when it'll be sorted out. There's coming a harvest day when it'll be sorted out. But hold on, I don't want want unintended damage to to occur in the process of you trying to fix things. There is this this peace in the patience of God that he is okay with waiting. He is long-suffering. He's okay with the waiting, not wanting any unintended damage to occur in the meantime. We should delay our judgment. We should get on our knees and say, God, rend our hearts. We give you full rule and reign in our hearts. I want God to go deep. I want us to have the real deal, the real thing, an authentic faith, the full intentions of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to establish 2,000 years ago. I'll just end with this story, and then I'm gonna call us actually to the front, to the altar, just to have a moment with Jesus, to in each, each and every one of our lives to say, God, have your way, rule and reign in my life. I'm fully open for you to have your way. This last winter, we had an exciting episode in our home and my eight-year-old son, he decided he wanted to build an ice rink in January in our, in our backyard. And it was that span of the winter where it was 30 below. So he came to that faucet that was hooked up to the outside of our house um, which there's no turnoff for. He came, but nothing came out. I mean, it was frozen solid, even on the outside. He let it set. He moved on. They w- ended up going to the library. The sun came up that day, and it, it thawed enough that eventually the water did come out. <laughs> and it started flushing into a window well that we have on the uh, east side of our house. So my wife got back from the library. She didn't see it when she drove up, but she got in the house and she heard this noise on the outside, this rushing, loud noise, banging. She came down to the basement and we had a flooded basement. It was a pretty big fiasco, especially in January, to try to clean out a flooded basement. But as is any house project, you begin opening things up and you, you uncover more problems, right? That's what usually happens. And that's what we uncovered is we hired a, folk, uh, a few of uh, the contractors here in our church to come in and help us out. And, and they started tearing out walls, sheetrock. And what they realized is in our foundation of our house, we had like a one-inch gap. But 
or there was just like no mortar between the cement blocks. So we had not only water, but like mud rushing into our home. And so they, they did their patchwork. They, they fixed the, the soil outside too, and they, they got it all sealed up. So hopefully we won't ever have any more water issues. Uh, they really fixed it. But isn't that the nature of, of real house projects? You see on HGTV, it's like slick and sweet and easy. But what you know, when you begin to open things up, it reveals a whole slew of other problems that you didn't even know were there. So it is in the kingdom of heaven. You begin to realize that God wants to do a work deep in our hearts and there's some stuff in there that we don't even know is there. As you begin to go in, in relationship with God, walk in relationship with God, he begins to rule and reign. You're gonna to begin to see a victory and an authority and a joy and a peace that he came to establish that's only possible when he rules and reigns in our hearts. So I wanna invite us into that this morning. If you'd stand to your feet, I'm gonna pray over you. I'm gonna ask you to come forward if you, if you are able and if you're willing, come forward to the, the altar. Just spend a few minutes in prayer seeking the Lord. In this specific series, I want us to spend some time seeking the Lord in a very specific way. So Lord, right now, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your radical goodness that you displayed to us, that you would come, you'd penetrate this worldly kingdom. You'd come and immerse yourself in this worldly kingdom. And you'd come and invite us into your heavenly kingdom. And you'd say, there's a new way. There's a, another way, a better way. It's a place where I rule in perfect authority, where I rule with peace and justice and righteousness. And the way into that kingdom is to allow you to be master and Lord, for you to be the sufficient savior, the Messiah, the one who rules and reigns. And so Lord, as a church, as individuals this morning, we're saying, God, have your way in our hearts. Even as an echo from last week, Lord, we choose to repent and believe. We choose to turn to you fully. In light of what we're encountering in your kingdom, we choose to turn to you fully. So would you, would you just move out of your seats for a moment? Come to this altar. We're going to seek the Lord just for a few minutes, then I'll dismiss us in a few moments. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.